morning. Good to have you with us today. Um, my name is Jamie Borchek. I'm one of the preaching pastors here. And I uh, just want to say welcome, especially if you're joining us for the first time this morning. We're really grateful that you're here and you uh, made the decision to come out and join us today. Uh, if you've got a Bible with you, you can turn to John chapter 1. Or you can open up your devices and uh, find that, John chapter 1. And while you find it, let me remind you of where we are this morning. Uh, over the last seven weeks, we've been doing this series along with about 800 other churches in and around Chicago called Explore God. We've been looking at seven of the uh, most common questions, the biggest questions that people have about God, life, and faith. And uh, you can see those questions on the screen behind me. Um, if you've, if you've uh, missed any of these sermons over the last seven weeks, I'd, I'd encourage you to go and uh, check those out. You can find them on the Park app or wherever you get your podcast. And I'd encourage you to go and listen to these. If these are questions that you're asking, uh, we, we'd love for you to, to get kind of what we've, how we've addressed them over the last few weeks. And you can remember, too, that at the end of the service today, we'll be taking, in your, taking your text in questions once again. So if anything that I say uh, surfaces questions for you, if you're thinking about stuff, feel free to shoot a text message to the number on the screen up there, and we will do our best to address that a little later on in the service. All right, so uh, throughout this series, what we've been trying to do is we've been trying to hold up the Christian faith next to some alternative beliefs like other religions and, and secularism to compare the respective answers that they give to these seven questions. And as we've looked at those answers, our thesis all the way through has been that Christianity makes better sense than the alternatives. Everybody's got to have answers to the big questions of life. And, and, and we've been claiming, at least, that uh, the Christian answers are more, are more deeply, holistically satisfying than the answers that you're going to get somewhere else. And, uh, and, and ultimately, the, the big idea we've tried to argue is that Christianity then makes enough sense for you to believe it. Christianity makes enough sense to be believed. Now, as I say that, <clears throat> I know that that thesis runs counter to what a lot of people think in our society today. Lots of people look at Christianity and think that it's kind of like this. It's like a house of cards. So it's there, but it's kind of a delicate thing. And uh, if you pull out the wrong card, or, or even if you like sneeze on it, you might knock the whole thing down. The whole thing would come crashing down. It's fragile. And even for Christians, uh, I think sometimes you can feel like if you really ask the real questions that you have, that you're going to do something that's going to knock this whole thing down. You're going to find answers that are going to undermine the whole structure. And, and, or even if, if you just go to YouTube and you watch enough YouTube videos, inevitably, inevitably you'll find something that's going, to, that's going to cause the whole thing to come crashing down around you. Lots of people look at it like it's a house of cards. But here's the deal. Christianity is not a house of cards. It's actually much more like this. So this, uh, you might remember this from the recent state funeral of uh, former President George H.W. Bush. This is the Washington National Cathedral. And I show you this because this cathedral is a whole lot stronger than a house of cards. This cathedral is solid. It's sturdy. It's strong. It's not something you're just going to knock over by sneezing on it or, or by pushing too hard. The Christian faith is solid and sturdy and strong like this cathedral. You see, the Christian faith has been around for about 2,000 years. And in that time, it has faced more scrutiny than any other worldview in the history of the world. The Christian faith has been probed and prodded over and over and over again by lots and lots and lots of really smart people. And still it stands. 
And despite lots of predictions from the secular world, uh, especially in the last century, about the imminent demise of Christianity, today, right now at this moment, there are more people who believe the Christian faith than at any other time in history. And the numbers just keep rising. It's not going away. It's solid and sturdy. And there are lots of reasons for that, but, but among the reasons why people continue to believe it and continue to hold on to it is because of the overall strength of the Christian answers to the hard questions. And what I hope has come through in this series as we've explored God together these past seven weeks is that holistic strength of the Christian faith. The Christian faith is strong enough to be believed. Now Christianity is strong, but it's not just strong. It's also beautiful. Like this cathedral, it's also beautiful. And today, as we finish out this series with this final question, what I want to do is to make an argument today, not so much from the strength of the Christian faith, but from the beauty of it. So our question today is, can I know God personally? And on this question, Christianity offers something really unique and really beautiful. If you spent much time around Christians, you may have heard the saying that Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. And that saying is half true. You see, Christianity is a religion. But as we've argued over the last seven weeks, it's true religion. Now, I'm not talking about a pair of overpriced denim, right? But Christianity is true religion. And this morning, as, as we answer this final question and close out our series, the beautiful big idea today is that Christianity is true religion. And true religion is a relationship. Christianity is true religion, and true religion is a relationship. So, with that said, would you read with me the opening verses of the gospel according to John? John chapter 1. John writes, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But... To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Would you pray with me before we unpack this? Father, thanks for this morning and thanks for uh, this series and the questions we've gotten to address over the last several weeks. Uh, thank you for the, the strong and sturdy answers that we've gotten to see. And today I pray as we look at this text that you would allow the beauty of your word, the beauty of who you are, the beauty of what you offer to be fully on display. Would you invite us into that, we pray. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.
All right, so as you look at this text this morning, we're going to see three ways in which true religion is a relationship. Three ways in which true religion is a relationship. So first, true religion is a relationship for God. So embedded in what we just read is a claim that you find in no other religious tradition. Christianity says that from eternity past, the one true God has always existed in relationship. Look at verses 1 and 2. The first words of John's gospel deliberately echo the opening words of the first book of the whole Bible, the book of Genesis. John begins by taking us back to the beginning. And where Genesis 1-1 says, in the beginning, God, John 1-1 says, in the beginning, the Word. Now, if you were here for week one of Explore God a little while back, you may remember that the Word here refers to Jesus. We know that because in verse 14, John tells us that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So, Jesus, so John is saying here in verse 1, in the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. So you'll notice that John is referring to two persons simultaneously here as God. Jesus is God, and Jesus is with God the Father. So in this text, you have God in the singular, but you have God the Father and God the Son both referred to as God. There is one God, but both Jesus and the Father are God. Tracking with me on that? It's a little confusing there. But what John's referring to is this reality that uh, later Christians began to call the Trinity. You can see an image of it here. The word Trinity doesn't show up anywhere in the Bible. And sometimes that takes, uh, Christians get criticized for using a word that doesn't show up in the Bible there. But the, the, the term was coined in the second century by a guy named Tertullian to describe a reality that's found in texts like this one that we're looking at in John. The word trinity combines the prefix tri, which means three, with the word unity, uh, meaning one. And so the idea is that there is one true God who is a unity of three distinct persons. One God in three persons. That's the idea of the trinity. Now I know that that can be a difficult concept to understand. It's hard to think about it. It's kind of like a stick figure trying to think in 3D, trying to get up off the page and think about a 3D world. It's hard to wrap your mind around. And, uh, and when you think about it too much, it can kind of make your brain hurt. But Christians believe in the Trinity, and we use the language of the Trinity because of the way that texts like John chapter 1 speak about God. It's what we see in the Bible. Now, why am I telling you all of this? Well, it's because this idea of God as Trinity is part of the beauty of the God who reveals himself in the Bible. Let me explain what I mean by that. So any of y'all remember the hit song from the darkness back in the day? I believe in a thing called love. Just listen to the rhythm of my heart. All right, I'm not going to sing it. I'm going to spare you that. I rapped a few weeks ago and that didn't go so well. So uh, I'll leave, you, leave it there. But last week was Valentine's Day, okay? And uh, Valentine's Day is this annual cultural celebration of love. And Valentine's Day is proof that we as a culture believe in a thing called love. All right? We believe in love so much that we spent a whopping 20 billion, with a B, 20 billion dollars on Valentine's Day gifts this year. That adds up, when you do the math, to about 150 dollars per person across the board in the United States. That's a lot of money. I don't know who's spending, how many of y'all are spending 150 dollars on Valentine's Day gifts, but y'all are crazy, okay? That is nuts. But bottom line is we believe in a thing called love to the tune of a lot of money, all right? And even if you go beyond Valentine's Day, there are lots of other evidences that we believe in a thing called love. For example, love is the most popular theme in our music. 
Statistically, consistently, every year for the last 50 years, around 70% of all the lyrics in top 40 songs on the charts have been about love. And then you've got TV shows like The Bachelor, right? All of that is evidence that we believe in a thing called love. We love love. And then when we think about God, research shows that the most common attribute that people ascribe to God is love. Regardless of whatever else you believe about God, you believe generally that God loves. All right, now what I need you to do is to put on your thinking cap with me for a second, okay? And this is going to be a little complicated to explain, but, but stick with me and walk through this, okay? Now suppose for a minute that there is no God. Just assume there is no God. What happens to this love that we believe in? Well, without God, the story of us is that we are just an accidental collision of atoms that evolved from some sort of primordial soup. We're a complex but accidental arrangement of matter. We're highly evolved animals, but we're animals. We don't have souls, we only have brains. Okay? And objectively, in that reality, the thing that you and I call love is then just a biochemical state that happens in our brains. When you feel love, when you experience love, it's really just chemicals triggering inside your head. That's all it is. There's no external thing that you can call love. There's no, love isn't a real thing. It's just chemicals and going off in your brain. That's all it is. And so without God, if you get rid of God, this thing called love that we believe in kind of disappears. Which means that you really blew that 150 bucks. Could have done something better with it. Now, all right, suppose instead that there is a God, but that God is unipersonal. What I mean by that is uh, God is not the Trinity, but, but God is a singular, all-powerful deity like what you find in, in something like Islam. All right, so suppose that kind of God for a second. And think about the nature of love. Love is unique among personal attributes in that love requires an object. Right? In order to love, you have to love something. Love can't exist without something to be loved. You have to love someone or something. You can't just love. Right? You can't just have a bunch of love. Like You have to have love for something. It, it requires an object. It requires, it's, it's other-oriented in its very nature. Love has to have something to love. It has to be expressed. It has to go outward. But if God is unipersonal, like in Islam, for example, then can God be loving in his very nature. Apart from an external created world that God has made, can God love? Can, can he just be love? Well, if love requires an object, as it does, then and God alone, uh, God is alone apart from creation, creation the answer to that is no. Right? Love can't exist for a unipersonal God until that God creates something else to love. Right? A unipersonal God can be all kinds of things. He can be powerful. He can be sovereign. He can be great. He can be eternal. But that God can't, in his very nature, be love, be loving. He can learn to love after he creates stuff. But love can't be essential to who God is. A unipersonal God can't have love as a defining attribute. You tracking with me on that? But if instead, as the Bible says... If God has existed in relationship within the Trinity from eternity past, then all of that changes. If God has always existed in relationship, then God can be loving in his very nature. He doesn't have to create people in order to love. He's lived in love relationship within the Trinity from forever ago. 
And that's why in one of John's other writings, he says that God is love. God is love. Only the Trinity makes a statement like that possible. The God of the Bible is a God of love. The God of the Bible is love. And so the point is that only in Christianity do you have a God whose very nature can be love. Only in Christianity do you find a God who has always existed in relationship. In other religions, God has to create so that he can love. But in Christianity, God creates because he is love. Relationship is essential to who the God of the Bible is. And so for those of us who believe in a thing called love, Christianity provides your basis for that belief. And while that may not make Christianity true, it at least makes it beautiful. The Christian faith aligns with our intuitions about love and about God in ways that no other religious tradition does. And so for God himself, true religion is and always has been a relationship. True religion is a relationship for God. And so as a result of that, true religion is also a relationship for us. From the very beginning, what we see in the Bible is this God who fundamentally is a love relationship within himself. We see him creating not because he needs something, but in order to invite others into that love relationship with him. Creation is therefore not some desperate plea by a lonely deity to find someone to love and serve him. Creation is instead a generous invitation by the deeply relational triune God to enter into the joy of the love relationship that he has enjoyed within himself from eternity past. See, the Bible begins in Genesis 1 with God creating people to live in perfect love relationship with him. And the Bible ends in Revelation 21 with God restoring people to perfect love relationship with him for all of eternity going forward. From beginning to end, the Bible is a story about the relational God pursuing people for relationship with him. That's what the story is all about. Now in between the beginning and end, between Genesis 1 and Revelation 21, we get the story of what went wrong in the world and then what God has done to fix it. And John 1 gives us a snapshot of that story. It's a story that has both bad news and good news. We see the bad news in verses 10 and 11. John writes, He, meaning Jesus, was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Notice the negatives here. The world did not know him. His own people did not receive him. In context, what John's talking about is that when Jesus came into the world as a first century Jewish rabbi, the world in general, more broadly, and the Jewish people in particular, rejected him. But more broadly speaking, the world did not know him and his own people did not receive him is a great summary of the central human problem as diagnosed in the Bible. See, our fundamental problem, according to the Bible, is that we have rejected God and we are disconnected from him. God created us to live in relationship with him, to have kind of a personal relationship with him. But all of us, to one degree or another, have turned our backs on God and walked away from that relationship. So, so it's kind of like this. It's like God created us to have him as the sun in the center of our solar system of our lives. For him to be at the center of it all. And he made us to orbit around him and to enjoy the light and the life that comes from his presence. That's what he made us for. 
But what we've done is we've removed God from his rightful place at the center. And we've replaced him with all kinds of other things. Usually starting with ourselves. We said, I'm going to be at the center and not God. And we've pushed him to the, to the perimeter. And when we do that, it's like removing the sun from the center of the solar system. Darkness comes in and we experience the loss of that light and life that comes from his presence. This is why in verse 5 of our text, John writes of the darkness of the world. It's not to say that we never see the rays of sun still breaking through. But the world in which we live is not filled with the light and life that God created it to experience. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Life in this world is all too often characterized by pain and suffering and darkness. When you take the sun out of the center of the solar system, everything's going to go dark and everything's going to go out of whack. And at the root of it all is our fundamental human rejection of God. The world did not know him or receive him. We chose darkness over light. We chose ourselves over God. And as a result, we are disconnected from God, cut off from his light and his life now and forever. So that's the bad news. But there's good news too. And the good news in our text is that the God who created us for relationship with him loves us enough that he didn't just leave us over there in the darkness. This passage in John that we're looking at is really a chronicle of all that God has done for us so that people like us could experience his light and life all over again. So in verse 9, you'll see Jesus, the true light, came into the world. In verse 11, he came to his people. In verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He literally moved into the neighborhood to be with us. In verse 17, he brought grace and truth. And in verse 18, he made God known. What John is telling us is that Jesus came into the world. He took the initiative to come to us, to reveal God to us, to shine God's light, and to restore a connection with God. In the rest of John's gospel, if you keep reading going forward, that's exactly what Jesus does. He lives this this life that's filled with light. He heals the sick. He restores the broken. He goes into dark places and he shines bright. He speaks God's words of life. And then at the cross, he takes all of the darkness of the world upon his own shoulders. He dies for our rejection of God and for our cosmic rebellion. And he goes down into the grave. And just when it looks like the darkness is going to win, his light breaks through in the victory of the resurrection. In his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus accomplished everything necessary for us to experience God's light and life all over again. That's the good news in this text. Now look at verses 10 through 12. John says, He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, but his own people did not receive him. So it's as if William Shakespeare walks onto stage during a performance of Romeo and Juliet and the crowd boos him away. It's like James Naismith, who invented the game of basketball, walks out on the court during game seven of the NBA finals and the crowd, the the security come and escort him out. The creator of life itself came into the world and the world told him to scat. Get out of here. But, verse 12, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now, if I show up my house later this afternoon 
and uh, one of y'all is laying on my couch eating food out of my refrigerator. What's that conversation going to look like? Now, don't get me wrong. Kinsey and I love having people over. You know, a lot of you have been in our house. We hope that that can happen for more of you in the future. But, but if you want to come into my house, we're going to have to talk about it, right? Like you can't just show up at my house and start laying on my couch eating my food. But if I show up this afternoon, if I get home, and Tripp, my five-year-old, is laying on my couch eating food on our refrigerator, what's that conversation going to look like? What's up, buddy? How you doing? How's your day? What are you up to? What's going on? Right? It's a totally different conversation. And the thing that makes it different is that Tripp is in the family. He's my kid. He's mine. And so he belongs in my house. He's got access there. You see, my sons, Tripp and Jet, have total access to my life. They don't have to ask permission to come in. They belong. My home is their home, and they're welcome there anytime they want for as long as they live. Now, when they turn 18, they're going to have to find somewhere else to live, right, or somewhere, sometime around then. But, but, but they can always come back. Like, they've got a place in my house. They belong in my home because they are my kids. Now, I know... You know, as, I, as I talk about this, I'm, I'm well aware, I know so, all too well that not all of us have great relationships with our parents. Sometimes a relationship with a parent can be one of the primary sources of the darkness and the pain in our lives. Fathers in particular, d- dads in this room hear this and take it seriously. Fathers in particular can so often leave deep wounds in the lives of our kids because of things they've done or things they've said or times that they just didn't show up when they weren't there. And so all of that, that that can make thinking about God as a father really difficult. But lots of us here today, we're parents ourselves now. I mean, we're practically outnumbered by the kids down the hall every Sunday. There's a lot of those little guys down there. And no matter what your relationship with your earthly father was like, when you become a parent, there are some things you start to understand about God as father in a totally different kind of way. Like I think for most of us, even when parenting is hard, which it is a lot of the time, can I get an amen? Parenting can be really hard, but even when it's hard, man, you would give anything for your kids, wouldn't you? Like, I think about Tripp and Jet, and I just love those boys. There are times where they drive me nuts. They fight with each other. They break my stuff. They disobey me. They embarrass me. Right? One of them's getting potty trained right now. I won't say which one. Uh, one of them's getting potty trained right now. And he, he poops all over everything. Right? Like, that's not fun to deal with. And sometimes they're super sweet too, but man, sometimes there are whole days where it's just hard to be a parent, where you're frustrated with your kid. But here's the thing about being their dad. My boys go to sleep most nights uh, a, a while before Kinsey and I do, a couple hours before us. And, and oftentimes, almost every night, uh, when we go up to bed, what I'll do, you know, my kids have been sleeping for a few hours and they're laying in their beds and they share a room and they're laying in bed. And what I'll do is I'll sneak into their room in the dark and I'll walk over to them, walk to each of their beds one at a time. And I'll, I'll just rustle their hair a little bit while they're sound asleep. And I'll lean over and I'll give them a little kiss on the cheek. 
And I'll whisper in their ear, hey, I love you, buddy. I'll say a little prayer for them. Walk over to, walk over to the other bed, do the same thing. And then I'll sneak out of the room and head back and go off to bed. And no matter how hard the day has been, no matter what has happened in our relationship, no matter where, how, how frustrating they've been or how difficult they've been or, or, or whatever's going on, no matter what the situation is, and those boys are mine. And because they're mine, they're loved. They belong to me and I love them more than they could ever possibly know. And I tell them all the time, I love you because I want them to know it. But man, I love them so much more than they could ever possibly grasp. You know what John is talking about in this text? That's what he's talking about with God. He says, to those who did receive him, he gave the right to become children of God. He's saying that we can have that kind of relationship with God. We can know God's love. We can be his kids. We don't have to stay in the darkness any longer, but we can enter into the light. We can become part of God's family. That kind of relationship is available to any and to all because of all that Jesus has done for us. We can be children of God. And so that's the second way that true religion is a relationship. True religion is a relationship for us. And that leads to the third and the final way. Because of everything we've said today and throughout this series, true religion is a relationship for you. We live in this day and age where it's easier than ever before to know a lot of things about a lot of people. Social media makes it super easy to creep on people and get some sort, some sort of like weird access to their lives. Right? So you can watch your favorite celebrity do things that previous generations never thought possible. So if she wants to, which I assure you she does, uh, Kinsey can watch HGTV TV star Joanna Gaines uh, tickle her toddler son on some random Tuesday afternoon. Like she can find videos of that kind of thing and she can watch it. And I, she, she probably wants to. I, I know her pretty well. Um, and, and I, uh, I'll just be honest with you, like I can watch the greatest basketball player of all time, LeBron James. Thank you. Uh, I can watch him like cheer on his kids at some random middle school basketball game if I want to do that. Right? And, and I, I will maybe admit to having done that before. Um, so, so you can know all kinds of things about all kinds of people that you want to know about. But knowing about people is so different from actually knowing somebody, isn't it? Right? Like, Kinsey doesn't know Joanna Gaines. Sorry, sweetheart. And I don't know LeBron James. We know a lot about those people, but we don't know them. And in this series, we've talked about a lot of truths about God. And we made the case that those truths about God make believing in the God of, of the Bible possible, feasible. We've argued that Christianity is not a house of cards, but it's much more like a sturdy cathedral. But here on this point, we need to shift that metaphor slightly once again to capture the real essence and the beauty of what Christianity is really offering you. Because it doesn't just offer you true knowledge about God. It offers you, you individually, you personally, it offers you the opportunity to actually know God, to have a real relationship with him. So it's like this. With the uh, Washington National Cathedral, you can look at an image like this one. And uh, see if that gets up there real quick. 
Um, you can look at an image of the cathedral and, and you can learn more about it uh, by, by looking at it. You can go down to Washington, D.C. and you can visit the cathedral. And you can walk around the grounds and you could, you could check it out for yourself. And, and you could study the exterior architecture. You, you could uh, do research on it. You could become convinced that it is indeed structurally sound. That it's sturdy. And that it's strong. And you might even be moved by the exterior beauty of the building. Right? But no matter how strong and beautiful it looks from the outside, there's a knowledge of the thing that you can only have when you actually step inside the doors and you get in the inside of it. There's a knowledge of it that you can only attain when, uh, when, when you experience it from the inside out. From the outside, for all its strength and beauty, a structure like the Washington National Cathedral can seem really intimidating and foreboding even. Right? But something happens when you walk inside and you experience the light streaming through the stained glass windows. When you see the beauty of it from the inside, from the inside, the experience, the knowledge is something different. It's something more intimate, something much more personal. And so in this way, I think the image of the cathedral actually might be unhelpful for us. Because what God is inviting us into is something that is far more intimate and personal than a giant cathedral can ever possibly convey. So here's another image. This is a front door of some random house that I found on the internet. Thank you, Google. Um, but it looks, it looks super inviting, doesn't it? And, and, it's, it, and it's in the summer. Do you all remember summer? <laughs> yeah, it, uh, hopefully that's coming again. But, uh, but, but for the sake of illustration, imagine with me that this is the front door of God's house. He lives at uh, 16, at 164, whatever street this is. Um, imagine this is the front door of God's house. Okay? And today... The idea is that he's inviting you to come on inside. He's asking you to come on in. Today we've talked about how true religion is and always has been a relationship for God. And how true religion is a relationship for any and all because of what Jesus offers. But at the end of the day, knowing all of that adds up to knowing about God. You can know a lot about God and you can still be disconnected from him. You can see the light without having the light shine directly on you personally. So where we need to finish today is by talking about what it means to actually know God. How do you go from standing at the door looking at this thing to actually stepping inside and entering into a real relationship with God? Look back with me at verse 12. If you want those refrigerator rights and couch privileges in God's house, how do you get them? It says, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say that you get into the family through your performance, through doing good works or keeping the rules or being religious enough. Every other religion in the world bases connection with God on your performance. The way that you get right with God is by doing good things for him. You have to earn it. That's how religion operates. But think about what kind of what that kind of relationship is like in real life. It's like being on the show The Bachelor. You've got like 30 women who are trying to earn a rose from the same dude every week. And they get to stay on the show as long as they perform well enough. But if their performance is enough to snuff, they're gone. And in the end, only one of them gets the final rose. And there's a reason that the final couples on that show succeed about as often as a lottery ticket. 
Relationships built on performance are toxic because you always have to perform. Some of y'all have been in those relationships. Some, some of you know people who are in those relationships right now, and they're terrible. You can't just be yourself and enjoy it because you always have to be on. You always have to be proving yourself. And that's how every other religion in the world works. They're all based on performance. But only true religion offers you something entirely different. Only Christianity says that a relationship with God is not based on your performance. It's based on Christ's performance. Jesus did everything necessary for you and I to be made right with God and to be able to know God personally. Jesus earned the rose through his performance, in his perfect life, in his sacrificial death. And now he offers it to you as a gift. That's what John says to all who receive him, who believe in his name. He gave the right to become children of God. He gave it to you. True religion is a relationship with God, and that relationship is offered to you as a gift. And with a genuine gift, what do you have to do to make it yours? That's right. All you got to do is receive it. So here's the point. True religion is a relationship for you. The God of the Bible, who is fundamentally a relationship with himself, offers you a relationship with him. And all you've got to do is receive it. Now I know that there are some of you here today who are not ready to do that. You're not yet convinced about the sturdiness of the Christian faith. You've still got questions and you're not ready yet to receive it. And that's okay. But let me encourage you to keep exploring God. This text we've looked at today is the prologue, the introduction to John's gospel. And the claim that John makes here is that Jesus is the revelation of God. If you want to get to know God, look at Jesus. Check him out. So if you're not convinced yet, pick up the gospel of John and read through it. Get a closer look for yourself. Check out Jesus and see what you think. And I'll invite you as well next week. Uh, Next Sunday morning, we're beginning a series that will run up through Easter. We're going to be walking through the Gospel of John, and we're going to be looking at seven I Am statements that Jesus makes about who he is in the Gospel of John. And so I'd encourage you to keep coming and to keep exploring God with us as we look at Jesus together over the next couple of months. Let me finish with this. There are some of you sitting here today, there are others of you sitting here today who are ready to receive what Jesus is offering you. You're sitting here right now and you're looking at the front door of God's house. You believe this Christianity thing is solid and sturdy. You know that God is inviting you in. You know that he loves you and he wants to be in relationship with you. And you see the front door right there and you want to go inside. How do you do it? The key word is the word believe in verse 12. Belief is your key to the house. Belief unlocks the door to relationship with God. So what does it mean to believe? A few weeks ago, I talked about how Jesus is the bridge from uh, over here where we are in our sin to over there where God is in his perfection. And what it takes to cross this chasm is not you performing and trying to long jump across it. You'll never make it. Christianity tells you instead that there is a bridge, that Jesus laid down his life to be the bridge across this gap so that you could have relationship with God. And so what it takes to cross the chasm is for you to take a step of faith out onto the bridge. The bridge is like one of those moving walkways in the airport. You step out onto it and Jesus takes you all the way there. He does the rest. 
And so you've got to intellectually believe that the bridge is there. You've got to see it and say, yeah, it will work. But intellectual belief is, is not enough. It's not just a matter of saying that it will do it. It's actually a matter of taking the step and putting your faith there, putting your trust there, believing, relying on it. That's what it takes. And so it's not some blind leap of faith into an abyss, but it is a step. It's a step that you have to take. It's the most important step you ever could take. It's a step that gets you into relationship with God because Jesus does the work for you to get you there. And when you take that step, that's when you actually enter into the cathedral and you see the light streaming through the stained glass windows into your life. When you take the step, that's when you can grab the snack out of the fridge and settle in on the couch to hang out with your dad. When you take that step, you get your connection with God restored and the light returns to your life and you get to experience relationship with God from the inside. And that doesn't mean everything's going to be roses and rainbows all the time. In any relationship, there are going to be ups and downs. You can ask anyone who's known God for any length of time. There are times where the relationship will feel super close and other times where it's going to feel more distant. But over time, the relationship develops and you get to know him better and better and you trust him more and more. And all along the way, no matter what it feels like and no matter what happens on any given day, at night as you lay your head to bed and you lay asleep in your bed, you can be assured that your heavenly father is there whispering his love over you. He'll be your father and you'll be his child and you'll have a real relationship with him. So in a minute, I'm going to pray a prayer where you can express your belief to God. Where you can take that step out onto the bridge and you can trust yourself to Jesus in order to begin that relationship. And if you're ready to take that step, to walk through that door and to receive all that God offers you in Christ, then I'd invite you to pray silently along with me. When I finish praying, we're going to take communion. Communion is a family meal where uh, those who believe get to celebrate relationship with God together. And so if you're here today and today you make that decision to receive Christ, to believe in him and begin that relationship with God, then come join us for that family meal for the first time. And then after service, come on up front and talk to me or to one of the deacons or other pastors so we can get you plugged into your new family of faith. Our question this morning was, can I know God personally? Knowing God personally is what the God of the Bible is all about. True religion is a relationship for God for us, and for you. So come on into the house. Let's pray. Father, I thank you uh, this morning for all that you have done for us in Christ. I thank you that because of his life, death, and resurrection, the light and life can be restored to us and we can have relationship with you. That is glorious good news today. We give you thanks for it. And God, I know there are some here today who have been walking with us through this series who are at a place where they're ready to take that step to believe. So I pray you would uh, give them the courage to take that step right now as they pray along with me. God, I thank you that uh, you have done everything necessary for me to be made right with you. I acknowledge my disconnection from you, my rebellion and my rejection of you, that I'm disconnected from you. I thank you that you have made the way through Jesus. And I put my faith in him today 
I receive the gift that you're offering me. And I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you take control of my life and help me to live in right relationship with you forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again to our musicians. Y'all can grab a seat for one minute. We're going to answer a few quick questions that came in. Um, just got a couple of them today, I believe. So, uh, all right, here's the first one. Why do other religions that believe in a God believe that you can't know them personally? Why is Christianity so unique in this? Yeah, let me grab this. Yeah, um, so in fairness to other religions, uh, we don't want to say things that they wouldn't say themselves. And so uh, other religions fall into uh, two, different, two different ditches. There's the ditch of the transcendence and the ditch of imminence, the out-thereness and the here-ness. So, for instance, Islam would say that uh, although Allah has revealed uh, truths to us in the Quran, uh, we, he, we can't really hold him to that truth because that would, to, that would be to bring him here, right? That would be to hold him to the text. Uh, and that's, that's abominable. No, we can't do that. He's, he's beyond. He's transcendent. And then uh, other religions are more imminentist, that are more here-ness, right? That um, God is here with us. They don't have the transcendence. And so um, a big part of this, why do other religions believe this? Uh, there's a necessity of revelation. And so we can sit down and speculate about who God is and whether he's transcendent or imminent all day long. Um, but God has revealed himself to us in his word. And he's revealed to us that he is transcendent and imminent in the person of Christ. He is the God-man. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Yeah. 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 And, and I'll just say on this, um, th we live in America where so much of our thinking about God has been shaped historically by Christian thinking about God. And so probably friends of yours who are in other religions might even talk about like knowing God personally, but that's imported into the belief system from uh, familiarity with a Christian understanding of God. In no other religion do you find the idea of God as Father, mm. um, you know, offering that kind of relationship to you. So, all right, here's the next one. Relationships can come and go. Is it possible for those who have believed, loved, and followed Jesus to fall out of that relationship and lose their salvation? Um, I'll, I'll say something first on this. Uh, I think all of us know, probably know people, like if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you know people who this kind of fits their story in one way or another. Like there are people who very much look like Christians at one point, who did all the Christian things, who, who said all the right things, but who now no longer do, like something has changed. And um, how you understand that phenomenon, what's happening there depends a lot on your theology. Um, there are texts in the Bible that that, that are interpreted to mean either like that person um, believed and then stopped believing, like they were genuinely in a relationship with God and now they are not, they lost their salvation. Um, other people interpret those same texts to, be, to mean that they looked like it, but, but it, it wasn't genuine, it wasn't real, it was kind of a, a, a charade. And now the, the real thing is evident. However you interpret those texts, um, the, the central point of those texts is the same across the board. And it's don't let that be you. <laughs> Don't let that be your story. Stay in relationship with God. And so um, that's a phenomenon that we all see, but the moral of the story is don't let that be a phenomenon that happens in your life. Yeah. Stay in relationship with God. 
Yeah, and another thing I wouldn't uh, jump on there. There's, there's different Christian opinions on this. Um, I'll, I'll, there's, again, two ditches. There's, um, we don't want to give people this assurance that once saved, always saved. You, saved. you said a prayer when you were five, and you're good, bro. It doesn't matter what your life's like. We don't want to go the other way and say, well, are you doing good works? Like, keep, keep it up, like Jamie was saying about a relationship where you have to earn it. Right? And so we want to hold that intention and say, um, man, if, if you believe in Christ, then you're, you're in his hand. And the Father's hand is over Christ's hand. And so you're not jumping out of there. Right? But I also, I don't want to give you false assurance. Like, if you don't love Jesus, if you don't love reading your Bible, I want to encourage you to do that, to ask God to help you with that. I'm not going to give you assurance and say, yeah, you said a special prayer. Like, the, the evidence that you love the Lord, that you're following him, is that you're doing it today. So I want to encourage you to do that today. Yeah. All right, here, I think this is our last one. Uh, when I feel really distant from God, how can I be reminded that he's actually close to me? Um, again, this is something that I think all of us have experienced at different points. In any relationship, there are times where it feels closer and times where it feels farther. Um, if God is trustworthy, th then we can believe him when he says it. And what he says, the testimony of scripture, is that he, if you've believed in him, he is your father. You're in a relationship with him. And um, like in any relationship, like if, if Kinsey and I are married and uh, we never talk, we never hang out, we never go on dates, we never spend time together, we're just like, you know, ships passing in the night, like the closeness of that relationship is not going to be very great. You know, like we're not going to, we're not going to be su super uh, connected to one another. And I think sometimes in a relationship with God, we, we, we can say like, man, I feel really distant from God right now. It's like, well, one step might be to like look inwardly and say like, all right, am I pursuing God? Am I, am I spending time with God? Am I initiating? Am I, am I like doing, doing the things to, to pursue that? Um, if, if I'm not, that's the place to start. P pursue him. Um, spend time with him. Go on a date with Jesus. All right. Yeah. So. And I would, I would say we, um, we started off today with Psalm 150 and said everything that has breath in your lungs, everything that has breath, praise the Lord. So... One thing, just, just pragmatically for me, when I'm feeling distant from the Lord, I'm reminded that I'm breathing right now and that I'm not doing that. I'm not thinking about, I can control it, I can hold my breath, not very long, but I can do that, but there's this, all this going on right now inside me that I'm not doing, my heart's beating. Man, God's doing that. And even though maybe relationally I feel distant, he's still here holding all things together and that includes me. And that's the kind of God, that's the father that we have. He cares enough to continue to, to let me breathe. He's given me air in my lungs. And that's, maybe that doesn't work for you. For me, that's awesome. He's here with me so much so that without him, my heart's not beating. I don't have any breath in my lungs.